morning, if you would, to the book of Ephesians. We're going to finish up uh, chapter 3 this morning, a study that I've entitled The Magnitude of God's Love. And I am excited about this particular passage of Scripture, because I think that when we really ponder our relationship and how it is that we have a relationship and why God wants us to have a relationship with him, ultimately you can actually only come to one conclusion. There really is only one conclusion for what God is doing in our lives, what he has done past tense, what he will do in the future, and that's God loves us. God in heaven the same God that created the universe, the same God who holds together that which he's created, the, the God who is powerful beyond your imagination, the God that, that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think, actually loves you. He loves you more than you can imagine. And one of the great truths of Scripture, if not the central truth of Scripture, is that God loves us. And I would say that really when you look at the Bible, as has often been said by many, it really is a love letter to his creation. It's God crying out from eternity past and speaking into eternity present. I love you. And I want you to understand that. And so this morning, the magnitude of God's love. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you that I receive so many reports when people come here that they feel your love. Lord, that's the greatest compliment any pastor could ever have. And Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for you pouring your life into us. And Lord, I thank you that as we pour that love back into each other and into this world, that perhaps just a few more people will be turned from their ways of sin and bondage and into the way of life and godliness through your love. Lord, as we study, as we read, as we think, as we ponder, God, instruct us from heaven by your Spirit. Fill us, Lord, with that magnificent, that wondrous, that amazing, that abiding love that you have for us. Fill us with it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And because it's been a few weeks, I want to return us back just a little bit briefly this morning. Remember verse 1 of chapter 3 begins this way. For this reason, Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. Now remember where Paul's writing from. He's writing from Rome. He's under house arrest. He is chained to a Roman guard. So he's a prisoner in a very real sense. But he's not a prisoner of Rome. He's not a prisoner of chains. He's not a prisoner of his mind or of the culture. He's not a prisoner socially. He is voluntarily a prisoner of the Lord Jesus. And when you think about what Paul now goes on to write, 
it brings into perspective why he writes so passionately. Because this morning, it's easy for us to look from the human side of this story, and at times very difficult to look from heaven's side. Because let's face it, life is not all good. Amen? We, we bump into things constantly that are difficult and painful and arduous, that require monumental effort, that uh, the circumstances that flow forth from those things uh, bring us pain and anguish and difficulty. Our world is very much a mess, and, and having just returned from Israel, the most striking thing that I came away with was the balance that we must have in understanding that the law is death and grace is the only way to be saved. I saw the most religious people that probably exist on the face of the earth. I was standing at the Western Wall. Maybe some of you know it as the Wailing Wall. It's the most holy place in all of Judaism. It's that chunk remaining of the wall of what was the original Temple Mount. A portion of it is still there and built on top of that are the Turkish walls. But I was leaning against the wall and I intentionally went next to a group of very ultra-Orthodox Jews who were reading from a Torah scroll to pray not just for them and for Israel, but to pray that the Lord would, would begin to open their eyes of understanding to the truth of what it is that they were reading. They were reading from the book of Isaiah. And, and as I just leaned against the wall, and I, I was wearing a kippah, I was very respectful, I, I was properly dressed to be there. As I began to, to pray silently, I was standing perhaps just a few feet really away from a number of obviously uh, rabbis and, and those who we would say looked extremely religious. One of them came over and cussed me out and said, how dare you defile the most holy place of Judaism with your presence. And, and I sat there and I thought to myself, the missing ingredient is grace and love. That's what the law does. That's why Paul said the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. And that life is a life of love, family of God. That's why Jesus spoke and he said, For you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have life. Family of God, the only reason we have life is because the Lord loves us. And he gave his only begotten son for us that we might have life. And that life would be a life that exudes the love of God. How big is that love? And so Paul takes this super Pharisee, this Hebrew of Hebrews, this legalistic keeper of the law. Family of God, I saw Pharisees, modern day Pharisees. I saw them berating their wives in public. I saw them just inordinately walking straight into people. I, I saw them get up when a woman sat down on a bench because they didn't want to be anywhere near a woman because a woman isn't as valuable as they are. 
You know, I saw it. Man, if that's what religion does, I don't want any part of it. And so that's who writes this letter. This is a man who was a Pharisee. This is a man who was a member of the Sanhedrin, the, in essence, the judicial court of the Jewish people. That's who is now writing about the love of God. When Paul was arrested, he'd been imprisoned. He was imprisoned and he was arrested because he was tried by the Jews and found guilty of saying things like, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Remember the first couple of chapters? They were enraged. And so as he writes, this morning maybe we can draw some things from this amazing man's life and from whom we really learn what it's like to forsake all for the cause of love. The religious leaders in Jerusalem felt scandaled and put down and berated by Jesus' teachings. Jesus has said, all of these things to those who were of the Jewish faith. And he says, you know what? The law can't save you. It's impossible because you can never keep it. As we were, those of you that have been or those of you have maybe read about, come Sabbath, Friday afternoon, Jerusalem shuts down. You, you can't get anything. But to get around that, all of the Orthodox Jews simply check into hotels so they can have the goyim serve them, us Gentiles. There's an elevator that stops on every floor so you don't have to work by pushing a button to get off on your floor. You see, that's what the law does. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Aren't you glad that the Lord loves us into that relationship? He doesn't beat us into that relationship. He doesn't just subject us to that relationship. You you see, now you kind of begin to understand why Paul so passionately spoke of the love of God. Because he understood what it was like to try and have a relationship with God without love just simply by works. Great psychotherapist Dr. Victor, Victor Frankl said, anyone can endure any what if they have the why. In other words, when you kind of understand why you're going through things, you, you can get a picture of, of the value, if you will, of even the most heinous of trials. And though in a circumstantial way that's probably true, God allows us to go through an awful lot of what's without giving us all the whys, doesn't he? As we were there in in Jerusalem, we went to Yad Vashem. That's the Holocaust Memorial in Jerusalem. I have been to all three of them, the one here. I've been to the one in Washington, D.C. And I can tell you, from my perspective, there's no comparison. And as as I walk through, you know, I ask the question, Myself, God, why? If your love, how could this possibly have ever happened? The inhumanity to man. When Connie and I lived in in Austria, I've been to Bergen-Belsen. I've been to Dachau. 
I have walked through those iron gates that say, Arbeit macht frei. Work sets you free. I've been there. And then as you, you get most of the way through that museum, there's a, a, an exhibit that quite frankly left me speechless and all I could do was cry. It's a glass place in the floor and it's filled with the shoes of 50,000 people who were burned alive in a crematorium. And you ask yourself, God, where were you? But at the same time, it also shows you exactly how much love God has for this world. Because I can tell you what I would have done had those been my chosen people. There, there wouldn't be any Germany. I would have erased it from the face of the earth. Walking through the children's section and realizing that over one million of the six million who perished were children under 12. How does anyone do that? It should give you a picture of how much God loves this world that he would ever allow such a thing to occur because he could have stopped it. So then, as we think on those things, Paul was a prisoner for the sake of Jesus Christ. One must draw the conclusion that love is the sole motivator for all that God either does or allows. Because were it any other motivation, God would have erased us from the face of this earth a long time ago. Because evil still exists in our world. The Palestinians are still lobbing rockets at the Jews. You, you can't even fathom how close proximity it is that Israel lives with their enemies. God's big enough to stop rockets. They, they shouldn't need the Iron Dome. they got the Iron Hand of God, ultimately. And yet God allows these things that seem so contradictory to his love. But I say to you, they are in fact the proving ground of the depth of his love. He could have destroyed the Romans too, amen? He could have destroyed the Persians. He could have erased Hitler and the Nazi regime. He, he could have dealt with Stalin. He, he absolutely could have ended Pol Pot's life at birth. He could have stopped the killing fields of Cambodia. He could today take those who were oppressed in China and living under the, the hand of communism and, and fix that problem. But God's goal is to not simply fix problems, but to provide the place where his love might be manifest. And so he allows things to occur to which the only answer is God's love. There is no other solution. Now as we continue, verse 14, and we'll finish this chapter. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family of heaven and earth is named. 
You realize that there's not one person on this earth who isn't the direct result of Creator God. There is no demon, there is no angel that is not from God. That causes us a quandary, makes us think really hard, kind of tough to wrap your head around that at times, amen? Satan was a created being. He was a cherub. He was created to be a worship leader, if you will, in heaven. But God allows all things, ultimately, to prove his love. And so for that reason, Paul bows his knee, and he's literally saying, I I kneel before the Lord in prayer. Don't make doctrine out of that. You can pray driving, you can pray standing, you can pray sitting, you can pray laying down. I don't suggest that because you normally fall asleep. Uh, you, you can pray eating, you can pray, I pray whenever I get on a roller coaster. You can pray anywhere, anytime, any place. But there are times when it just simply seems appropriate to drop to your knees before the Lord of Heaven. Amen? And you just say, God... I'm bowing everything before you. Now, I don't know how his Roman guard responded. I, I, I can only imagine as that Roman guard stood chained to Paul, as Paul's on his knees, crying out to the Lord of heaven. It was very common for the Jews to actually stand in prayer, in reverence. But Paul drops to his knees. And he says, God, you created everything. You created everyone. That's exactly what Philippians chapter 2 and Colossians chapter 1 say, by the way. Philippians 2 says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. Speaking of Jesus, that the name of Jesus, that every knee would bow, those of heaven, those of earth, those under the earth. Every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's the same exact thing. Ultimately, there will be no one. Doesn't matter whether you're in heaven. Doesn't matter whether you're in hell. There will one day be no one left in the whole universe that doesn't bow their knee to Jesus. The question then becomes, when do you start bowing? Do you bow now in honor and glory and in love? Or do you bow later in subjugation because he is king of kings and lord of lords? He is master whether you acknowledge it or not. You see, what he wants to do is to have you come to that conclusion that he is your Lord now, and your Lord loves you. Your Lord wants to speak that love into your life. And so, on his knees, Paul goes. And he begins in verse 16 to now give us this picture. That he would grant you. Who's he? God. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Out of the immense bank account of the glory of Father God, to give abundantly to you what he possesses. 
to be strengthened with might through the Spirit in the inner man, verse 16 says. As this begins a section of some of the most beautiful verses in all of the New Testament. Paul says, you know what? I'm a prisoner. I'm gladly a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I've been a prisoner of religion. I've been a prisoner of the world. I was imprisoned by works. I was imprisoned by the law. Now I'm a prisoner of Jesus. And my chains might as well be made of velvet. Because they're chains that I gladly accept. And through those chains, I experience the love of God. That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory. As He kneels before Father God, He says, Lord, strengthen us to receive what you're going to give us. Strengthen me to receive what you're going to give me. I don't want to lose heart. Thank you, God, that you strengthen me to receive the abundance of what you want to give. I am amazed sometimes at how many Christians do not understand how much God loves us. They've sat in church for a long time. But legalism has borne an evil root. Perhaps libertinism, liberty, has borne some bad fruit in their life. Can I say to you that it is in fact the love of God that balances these things out and we inherit that love by the Spirit of God? For God's Spirit dwells in you. As Paul would write to the church at Corinth in the second letter, the fourth chapter, the 16th verse, it says, And so we do not lose heart, even though our outer nature is Perishing or wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. That as the world beats in and presses down, as we go through difficulties in life, the whole time God is saying, by His Spirit, let me help you with that. Let me give you strength where you don't have strength. Family, this is the strength that you have when the tough things come. This is, this is the strength that you must have to stand in that evil day. The Holy Spirit works in us. And be reminded that Paul would also write in that same book in the third chapter that the Lord is spirit. And wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. But not freedom like the world teaches. Freedom as God knows we need. We're not free to do everything We're free to do what the Spirit wants. Sometimes people say, well, you know, I'm free in Christ. Yeah, but you're not free to sin. You're not free to make your own rules. You're not free to live your life as you please. You're free to receive from the abundance of the riches of God the Father everything He wants in your life. And when you have that, you will have a life like you cannot imagine. Doesn't mean you're going to have everything you want. And in fact, I can pretty much guarantee you, you will not have everything you want. Because in fact, some of the things you want are not what God wants. Amen? I'm thankful for the things that God hasn't given me that I've wanted, because I've wanted some dumb things. The Holy Spirit works in us. 
inspires our worship. He aids in our prayer. He shapes our character. Holy Spirit in you is that hope of God's glory. Amen? You, you see, what happens is as you're invaded by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit takes over, you begin to see everything from God's perspective. You, you don't see things from the earthly perspective. You see them from God's perspective. Guess what that does to your prayer life? It changes the focus of your prayer. It goes from you to him. All of a sudden you're praying, Lord, I don't really know, but I know you know, so would you give me what you think is best? Lord, I, I know I have this disease. I've got cancer. This thing, you know, we've had an accident. The car's been damaged, but God, you know. Do what you want with this circumstance, this situation. You know what God's not going to do? He's not going to give you a serpent. He's not going to give you a rock when you ask for bread. He's going to lovingly, from the resources of heaven, give you exactly what you need. And now comes the tough part. Sometimes you need difficulty, and so do I. Sometimes you actually need pain, and so do I. Sometimes you need to do without, and so do I. Sometimes you need to lose a job to appreciate the one that you had. Sometimes you have to go through difficulty in order to understand the depth of the love that God has for you. Because those things perhaps have stood in the way of his love. Perhaps things have crept into your life that because they're in your life, you don't trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And you do lean on your own understanding. And you are not acknowledging him in all of your ways. So he wants to be first. Not third, not fourth. Because he wants to impart his love to you. And he can't do that when we're in rebellion. He can't do that when we're walking away from him. And that's the power of this prayer life that Paul is now leading us into. In verse 17, he goes on to say that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in what? Love. Notice it doesn't say rooted and grounded in all knowledge. It doesn't say rooted and grounded in having everything you've ever desired in life. It doesn't say that you're rooted and grounded because you now have arrived at some new spiritual plane. It says being rooted and grounded in exactly one thing, and that is love. Do you remember what John wrote in his first letter to the church in the fourth chapter? He made the plain statement, God is love. At the very core of who God is and what he is and how we know him to be, he's love. And so that's exactly what he wants for you and wants for me. He wants us to be rooted and grounded in love. Now notice what he says. That you might be able to comprehend with all the saints, here, there, and everywhere, on this earth previously, the ones that are alive now, the ones that are in heaven, and the ones that will be in heaven one day with all of us, that you might be able to comprehend with all the saints 
What is the width, the length, the depth, and the height of it? You understand what he's saying? How many dimensions are there in our world? Basic physics, there's exactly three. Amen? It takes three dimensions to make an object. It has a length, it has a width, and it has a depth. Then you have a three-dimensional object that compiles absolutely everything in our world. Why would he have four here? Why would he add a fourth dimension? Because you can have something that's an animate object, and unless it's filled with the wonderful ingredient called God's love, it's dead. So he draws attention to this amazing truth that Christ may dwell in your hearts through all faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the totality of the love of God. How much love does God have? So much love that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that the world through Him would be saved. Amen? And I look at the world... I'm not sending my son into this world. I didn't like the fact that my own real sons live in this world sometimes. And I'm human. Imagine if I were perfect, I were God, and I look at this world, and I'm going to send my son, who's also God and also perfect, into this mess? You talk about love. Into the three dimensions that we call space, matter, and time. He sends his eternal son, who's God. Talk about love. He uses two words here, rooted and grounded. And I love this, because one from agriculture, one from construction. I like both. I like to eat, and I like buildings. But when I, when I read the word rooted, if you know anything about our redwood trees that grow here only in California, by the way, the coast redwood. When, if you know anything about those trees, they are so tall that their root systems actually are not sufficient singularly to support the tree. There's so much mass that by their own weight in a windstorm, they'll fall over. So they grow in clusters. They grow in groves. That's why you never find them by themselves. We're rooted. We're not intended to stand alone. Our root systems are all tied and twisted together with the one who is the real root, who is the rock of our salvation. We're rooted in him. We're tied in so that when the storms come, we won't fail. We won't blow over. We won't drop in the next storm. And he says grounded. It's a construction term. It means to be based on the foundation. Those of you who have ever had the experience of building your own home, it seems like forever to get the house out of the ground. Amen? The building, it's like, you still digging? I mean, stop digging. Put some walls up. Grounded. Foundation's bad. The whole rest of the house is bad. Now put it together. He wants us to be rooted, tied into his root structure, and tied in together, and absolutely grounded so that when the storms come, we will stand in the love of God. That we'll experience that love that keeps us. Because he is love. 
reaches every corner of our experience. People have tried to explain these verses, and frankly, I don't know that anybody can do them justice. He's praying that we would be established, in essence, abiding in, living in these things. I don't know about you, when I look at that, how how wide is God's love? How long is God's love? How high is God's love? How deep is God's love? It's infinite. People often use the cross. It points four different directions, yeah? And in in the sense of infinity, how far can you go to the east before you run into the west? You can go forever. How far to the north can you go before you run into the south? You can go forever. So what does it say? It's the outstretched arms of our Lord. He said, I love you this much. No matter where you go, David said, heaven or hell, I'll be there. You can't hide from me. I love you too much. How wide, how high. I think that's why John's gospel is so important, because it's the personal story of how we come to faith. In chapter 6, it says all Jesus speaking there, all that the Father gives me to the one who comes to me, I won't cast out. Now, when you look at yourself, I know when I look at myself, I don't deserve the love of God. I don't deserve the love of God. I know me. You know you. We all have our weaknesses. The things that happen in our lives that when we look at them, we go, Lord, how could you love someone like me? If I was really your children, you probably have even doubted your salvation at times. If I was really your child, I would never think like that. And yet you do. Aren't you glad that God's love is very wide and very deep and very high? How wide? Covers the breadth of our experience. Reaches out to the whole world. How long? It continues throughout the length of your life from eternity past to eternity future. How high? To the heights of our celebration to the lowest valley you'll ever experience. Amen? You get the picture? How deep? It reaches from the depths of discouragement all the way to death if necessary. How deep is the love of God? You see, sometimes we kind of have shallow love, yeah? You think about the Lord, it kind of stops at a place it ought to keep going at. I know for me, there are times when I just, I stop so short of the love of God. And I do that with people sometimes. And you probably do as well. Maybe you do that with your spouse. Maybe you do that with your children or friends or just acquaintances. We stop short of the love of God. And Paul's saying, I want you to grasp the love of God. Oh, family, we need to grasp the love of God. It transcends every human experience. It reaches low enough to touch the most wretched sinner. It's enough love for the divorced and the unmarried. 
It's enough love for that woman who suffered with an abortion and the man who caused it. It's enough for the poor. It's enough for the wealthy. It's enough for those with an intellect and for those who have little. His love is enough. We need to remember that. Because there are going to be times when you're going to be in need of more love. Would you remember that there's enough love? How magnificent is his love that he loved us before we were born. That he loves us in spite of knowing exactly who you are. Do you realize before you ever thought them that God has known every filthy, despicable thought that you would ever have? And he loves you anyway. Undyingly loves you anyway. You see, religion can't produce that. Because religion is based on condition. If you do this, I'll do that. Only relationship And I say to you, only a loving relationship produces unbridled love. It can't be conditional. That's why it's only through grace, by faith, that you've been saved. It's not works and you can't boast of it. Verse 19, as we wind this up this morning. To know the love of Christ. Now you know why it says what it says next that passes knowledge, that it goes beyond your ability to even understand it. Isn't it weird that he would actually pray for something that actually you can't really do? Do you know why that is? Because it is wonderful to set goals that keep you moving forward. You see, when I try and ponder the unponderable, it makes me think out of the box. It makes me reach to places that my humanness would stop me. Let me give you an example. You probably all know how much money you have in your bank account currently. So you don't even pray about things that are beyond what you have in your bank account financially. What he's saying is, forget what's in your bank account. Remember what's in my bank account. And pray that way. Think about my love that way. Because his love's not bounded by your ability to understand it. Do you get that? His love is not bounded by your ability to understand it. That's why when people come and they just, I, no, God would never accept me. I can look them confidently in the eye and say, oh, that's not true. God throws a party when sinners come to faith. God looks at us very differently than we look at us most of the time. That you may be filled with all the notices, fullness of God. And so if God is as he declared love, what do you think he's trying to fill us with? If he is love and he wants us filled to overflowing with his fullness, then he wants us filled with love. Beyond anything else. There are all kinds of manifestations that God's love is in you. But the simple fact of the matter is the one thing that matters most is God's love. Without it. We're doomed. With it, we're an unstoppable force in this world. We need to experience that fullness. 
And so he says in verse 20, And now unto him who is able. Notice what it doesn't say, and this is so important. Now, if you really get this spiritual principle, you're going to go out and get this done. It doesn't say that. You know, if you're really walking with the Lord, then you're going to have this, 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 and this in action in your life, and you'll be able to quantify it and jot it down. You'll be able to give people an exact answer for the things. It doesn't say that at all. It says, now unto him, that him being Jesus, who is able. And it actually infers in the Greek language here, who alone is able. Hallelujah who alone is able to do, notice the superlatives here, exceedingly, abundantly, above all, that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. Not according to your ability to understand it. Not according to your gifts. Not according to your mind. Not according to your bank account. Not according to your position in society. Not according to the nation that you live in. According to nothing except Him. Now unto Him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all. I don't know about you all, but I can think of some pretty crazy things. And Lord, you can do more than that in me? I can ask for some wild things. And God, you can do more than that in me? Absolutely. Because I'm looking to him who is able, not Jeff who is able. It's not my ability to understand theology. It's not my ability to comprehend these things. You know, sometimes people get salvation... Uh, confused with comprehension. You're not comprehending anything other than Christ and Him alone for salvation. You're not comprehending how much He loves you. That comes subsequent to your salvation. You're not comprehending the works that you would one day do. That comes subsequent to your salvation. What you're comprehending here, what you're understanding here, is the ununderstandable. You can't know it all. And you never will. But the goal is there for you to shoot at for the rest of your days. Praise God. I look at the love of God and go, Lord, make me like you. I look at the height of it and I say, God, let me reach that high. I look at the breadth of it and I say, God, let me stretch out my arms wider. Let let me touch people that I, I would never even touch. God, if they're in the pit, let me go to the pit and get them out. You see, that kind of love. And that's the power that works in us. And He has abundance of that power. He's not limited by your ability to comprehend it. Hallelujah. Amen? Aren't you glad that God's work in us is not bound by what we can understand about Him? We just submit and fake. We say to him, God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for using me in spite of me at times. How could Paul write these things? Because it was God's power at work in him. It wasn't a rational understanding. It was experiential. He was living it. 
And when you live it, it's way more real than if you were just simply told about it. Amen? Well, when you experience something, it becomes very real to you. I could tell you all day what it's like to actually take off in your own plane. That first time that you taxi down a runway and you're actually at the controls and your instructor's sitting in the other seat, you know, you think, well, that would be kind of fun. It's sheer hellish terror. It's like I could die and get the plane two feet off the ground, just wham. But once you've done it, like this is awesome. This is amazing. The same is true with your walk with the Lord. That first time you take off in faith, it's a little bit fearful, amen? But once you've taken off and landed, which is even worse than taking off, you're coming in, the ground's coming up, and you're like, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Once you've done that a few times, you're, you're like, oh, I'm not going to die. Matter of fact, I'm going to kind of bank this thing over and take a look at the ground, see what it looks like. It's the same thing with your spiritual walk. To know what is the height and the depth and the breadth, the width of that exceedingly abundant, great love that God has for you. You see, you know that love when you experience that love. And if you're here this morning and you have not experienced that love, I would love to pray with you after service. Because it's in that love that life actually has the meaning that was intended. It's understanding that love that gives you the place on this earth that God intends for you. And without that love, no one sees God. And no one can know God. You either have His love or you don't. And if you have it, Ask for that exceeding abundance beyond what you can actually think, beyond what you can actually articulate in words. God, rain down upon us your magnificent love. Amen? Let's pray. Father, as we think, Lord, as we ponder, some of us can ask and think a lot, and some of us not much. And yet, Lord, to each of us, you want us to know what is the magnitude of your love that you have for us. And we pray, Lord, I pray, God, if there's, there's anyone here and they, they think perhaps they're outside of your love, Lord, they think that you can't love them. Maybe something's happened in their life and they're caught up, Lord, in, in what they think you think about them. God, would you reveal yourself right now to them, set them free. Lord, for those of us who are senior saints, we've been walking with you for a long time. God, if people meet us, would they know nothing but how much you love them? God, help us to not get hung up on the things that don't matter. Lord, help us to be the the bearers of your likeness. God, we love you. We thank you that beyond all things you first loved us and that you sent Jesus into this world to prove that very fact. That you didn't cast us off. You didn't start over. 
you have from the beginning been the one who takes that which is broken and makes it better than new. We love you. We bless you. We thank you for your love. Lord, help us to love one another and love those whom you love just as you do. We ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen.